In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome to Moving Forward this week. I am your host, Kristen Nepper, and today our guest is Malik Platz. Malik is a financial advisor, a restauranteur, and a philanthropist. Malik, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I know uh, our guests are going to learn a lot. So let's go ahead and dive into your story. So I know you're very successful today. Financial advisor opened a new restaurant, planning on a second one out here in California and Los Angeles. But you didn't grow up out here. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your hometown, and where you're from. Okay, yeah, I'm from the Philadelphia area. I grew up. Um, in the same neighborhood as in Will Smith and not too far from Kobe Bryant um, in an area called Winfield near St. Joseph's University. Um, so that's the area where I'm from. It's an area that um, built a lot of character in my life um, because of the upbringing, because of, you know, getting up early to shovel the snow out for your mother two hours before you have to go to school and then actually having to walk to school 30 more minutes. So, it you know, builds a lot of character. A lot of individuals, when it rains in certain areas, don't even go to work. And, <laughs> like <laughs> and me, little, for example. <laughs> <laughs> and a child, you know, and a lot of kids back east have to get up and do a lot of work prior to even going to work academically. Right. So, yeah, so that's 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 the area that I grew up in. It's called the Winfield area. And safe na- neighborhood, not so safe neighborhood? Um. My mom, my mother moved me from an area called Southwest Philadelphia. Um, it was getting very, very bad. It was an area. It had a, a lot of gang violence. It was a, it was a group there that was a very, um, like a drug cartel, if you were say, in that area. And the, the neighborhood was getting bad, so we moved to the Winfield area. And the Winfield area was, it was okay area to grow up in. Um, still violence in the area and the surrounding areas. But it wasn't as bad as the area that we, let me say, first 13 years was in southwest Philadelphia. Okay. And the last probably five or six before I went to college was in the Winfield area. I guess that's all relative to, though, you know, a not so safe neighborhood to you is probably different than a not so safe neighborhood to me. Because I know we spoke earlier about just going to school every day and how impactful that experience was to you. So can you discuss that a little bit with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, sometimes when you grow up in areas where there's conflict within the community with a a neighboring street or not more of a gang violence type thing, but it may be conflict within your neighborhood, you may have to walk, or I know at least I did, I had to walk to school and you have to walk by individuals that really don't care for you every day. And it's uh, it's mentally stressful for a child. A lot of kids stress over acne or... Somebody may be bullying them cyber, but just imagine if you walk into school every day and it's a a corner full of individuals that don't like you and you have to walk past them every day. Right. So you don't even know what can happen or what, you know, you don't know what they're going to do, what can happen. But you just have to be um, mentally strong. And but that it works in the business world, too. So it it works to where no one is going to intimidate me. You you see, so it, it transformed. Growing up in that way transformed business-wise. I'm not going to get intimidated. Like, I'm going to go past these guys every day because I have to get – my goal is the education. But 
prior to the education, you have to <laughs> mentally just be strong just to even make it past these individuals. So that was sometimes on the daily aspect. I grew up in two areas also. So in West Philadelphia, where my grandfather is from, there were an area of kids that didn't like another area in Winfield where my grandmother is from. But I knew both sets of friends. So I was kind of the broker in the midst of these guys not liking each other, just in business also. The broker selling the house to this individual to having a real estate person or the broker between an oil deal. or It's just the same type of thing. It's just transformed into a different perspective. I love how you say that. And we spoke a little bit earlier about the stakes, it sounds like, were much higher in your neighborhood than a lot of just middle class people where I grew up in particular. I might have been harassed on the bus on the way to school, but I didn't receive the type of phone calls that you and I had discussed in college. Can you talk a little bit about some of the trends in your neighborhood and and graduating early and and, uh, that piece of it? Yeah, so I graduated from high school at the age of 16. I never went to the 11th grade. I went from 10th to 12th. Um, So I was never a junior in high school. Um, So I came into college at 16 going into my 17th birthday. And obviously, you're very smart. But what was the reason that you wanted to skip 11th grade? Well, it was I had to remove myself from the high school I was going to. So the high school I was going to was called Overbrook High School. It was too many bad things going on in this high school. The academic level was horrendous. Um, our way, you know, and it's a great school. Like I don't ever want to display a school in Philadelphia or talk down on it. I'm just talking about my personal experience. Sure. It was too much violence in the school. There was drugs in the school, and if you notice. Um, Will Smith's company is named after the school. It's called Overbrook. So that's the area. That's the area. Um, So what I had to do is when I got to 10th grade, I removed myself from that high school and went to another school called Philadelphia Academic that was directly around the corner. And this was more of a private school that had smaller classes and we had to pay to go to this school. But I had made a deal with the principal that if I attended the school, would I be able to graduate? And he gave me a um, a state test that helped me skip the 11th grade in order to go to the 12th, from 10th to 12th. That's amazing. Yeah. And I just wanted to get, if I would have stayed in my environment in that school, I probably wouldn't be in the situation. And it's always been like that. I've never went to school with my neighborhood friends. So you're again, brokering relationships all along the way. Exactly. So my middle school was completely Caucasian and it was a minority of African-Americans. But that was way different from the friends that I grew up with in the neighborhood. But it gave me the good thing about it. It gave me a different perspective of both lifestyles of, you know, a wealthy family and then a family that's not doing so well. So then I, I was able to see that coming up and able to see that there is another side to this, to life, period. Right. Definitely. And I know the drug industry in your neighborhood was very prevalent and you saw a lot when you were a kid, but you were telling me how you learned from it. Can you share that with our listeners? Well, within our neighborhood, it wasn't about who's the biggest jock on campus. You watch these movies and you see who's the biggest jock and the quarterback gets all the girls and all of (laughs) that. That doesn't doesn't work in the urban setting, right? Right. The the urban setting is who has the money now? Who has a car? Who has an apartment now? 
right? So that's a lot of pressure on a teenager that a lot of girls that you want to date want you to have this certain type of status, right? And a job is not going to get that for you. So a lot of the kids within the neighborhood turn to the narcotics. It's the easiest thing to get into. It's the quickest way to make a bunch of money. And then the girls that you want to impress are intrigued by it. It's it's so it's, they're intrigued by the lifestyle. And this is in urban settings. So you have these guys that are in the narcotic world at 15, 16, maybe doing $10,000 a week. They're brokering deals. They have management level seller and the retailer. These guys are CEOs at young ages. Wow. And that's an incredible amount of money. Yeah. I mean, but that's, you know, that's your, but at the same token, you're destroying your community. You're not thinking about it. Because the money is so good to you, but at the same token, you're destroying your community by flooding your community with drugs. You have to teach these kids that that's not the correct way to do it. You can do it by going to school and then becoming successful as myself or other African-Americans that I know that's in the business world. You can use it in a better way to help enrich your community and go back and teach individuals the skills that you've learned. Absolutely. And you had told me that death was a part of your everyday, which is something growing up where I did, I cannot comprehend. So can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what lessons you learned from the stakes being so high? Well, I do a lot of um, comparison to movies, right? Okay. And, and, and just because that's America's perception on high school. Like if you watch a show and they put the token black guy in a high school and he's trying to act like he's hard. I already know that he's not that type of person because he's he's portraying it. Real guys that live that lifestyle don't even want you to know that they're doing this. Okay. You're right. They're, they're the quietest ones in the room. They don't even want you to know that they're this type of guy or they're not going to try to bully a kid. They're, they actually will be the ones that will help a kid. <laughs> I right. mean, it, it's a it's a. It's a double-edged sword. They're they're only doing the the drug selling and saying that's the only thing that they see. They don't know anything else. So they have no role models. If you don't have a role model, the only person you look up to is the person that's making the most money. There's not a lot of options, right? And that's why there's a lot of poverty because it's lack of options. Absolutely. And growing up, when you get the call, first of all, I was excited to be in college. I never thought I would go to school. Like That was never... It was never in the plans, right? I was just, my thing was survival, getting to the next day, getting to the next week, getting to the next school year, just hoping that nothing happens to me within the neighborhood. Because I had a lot of um, interactions with individuals that didn't like me in the neighborhood. And it could have went to a place to where I'm not even talking to you today. But at the same token, a lot of people get calls when they're in college and it's great news. Hey, remember Susie? She graduated from Penn University or remember um, what's name? They just got accepted into the military academy. A lot of my calls were, hey, remember um, Lavelle? Oh, he got, well, when we say in Philadelphia, you're not going to step down on the professional um, way of I'm talking. Well, he got hit up. That means that he got shot. It was a lot of calls that I got. This is freshman year in college. So I'm getting those type of calls. I had another friend um, named Jamie, real funny guy, funny guy, you know, came down to see me in college my freshman year. Next year, he was murdered. Um, I had a good friend named Malik in in high school that was murdered. Malik was 19 years old. I think I was 15 at that particular time. And he was a close friend of mine. So the psychology has to be strong. And that's why I have a lot of people of color have to prosper more than other individuals because 
who who do you talk to when you get those type of calls? Like, I, my mother can't afford a psychologist. We don't have anyone in the school that we can sit and talk to. But imagine this is happening to a lot of individuals in the south side of Chicago or Detroit or south central Los Angeles. So these kids, a lot of them going to just give up because it's just like there's no hope. Like They don't have hope. Because they don't have examples. Yeah, they don't have an example. Well, what did you do? I mean, how did you maintain hope? You talked a little bit about how you went to some different schools and you were able to see some examples. But specifically, did you have any spiritual or religious beliefs that were imparted to you when you were growing up? Or was there someone who was a mentor to you in your community that allowed you to see past the possibilities of the reality that existed for you? Um, well, I mean, the thing that I did is I removed myself from the situation. I just kept saying, this just can't be it. And I would probably have to say my father um, having us travel a lot in the summer times and picking me up in the RV and driving me to Florida and certain areas within um, New York and stuff. So my father opening those eyes for me and just applying for college. Like I pick individuals apply for school and they, they take the trips and I just picked the school on a historical black college list. I just wanted to get out of Philadelphia. That was it. I just said, whoever, I picked five schools. I said, whoever picks me, I'm going. So it was sight unseen? Well, I did see the school. Okay. I did see the school prior, but that was how, it wasn't how it was planned. You know how a kid may say, I just want to go to North Carolina, and he's talking this since 10 years old. Right. You know, I just wanted to get out of Philadelphia and become successful. And you can't fly with eagles if you hang with turkeys, right? And not saying (laughs) that. That's a great saying, yeah. (laughs) So if everyone in my community is doing the same thing and I have no outside resource, I'm hanging with a with the turkeys, turkeys. Yeah. (laughs) And I wasn't able to fly. And it just imagine you're an eagle and your wings are clipped. So I'm trying to prosper. And our conversations are things that aren't relative to me anymore. Mm. Now there's nothing in common. And that's why a lot of individuals, when they do make it out, and they try to keep their group of friends that they grew up with, is like they haven't grown mentally and your conversations are so you don't have a there's no relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And then they said then that's when it is, oh, he's sold out or he doesn't keep it real or he doesn't give back or that's when all that comes out. But it's just, well, I've grown up. My mental is, you know, not where I was 15, 20 years ago. And yours may be. We can still be cool, but it's not. there's no relationship because we, we don't have anything to talk about. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably a harsh realization when you realize you don't have anything in common with childhood friends. Yeah. But I know that your childhood impacted you in the sense that at a young age, you kind of discovered what you wanted to do. So can you tell us a little bit about some of your stories growing up where you would be, quote unquote, brokering those deals uh, when you were younger? My mother used to make lunches for me. So what I would do is she would make these big hoagies. Y'all call them subs on the West Coast, Subway sandwiches. Mm -hmm. She would make these big hoagies and fill them with meat and put uh, a tasty cake inside, soda, apple. So what I would do is I would sell my lunches for $5. I would present. I would have a presentation. (laughs) This is what it is. (laughs) Marketing. That's marketing. I'm marketing my sandwich. You can buy them collectively or individually. How do you want to do it? How old are you at the time? Oh, I was probably in the fourth grade, third or fourth grade. So So probably eight, nine, eight, eight, nine. Yeah. (laughs) And then what I would do is at the end of the week, I would have twenty five dollars. 
And in my school, you could buy things in the cafeteria, like chips. So I would just buy other things. I would buy a, a I would buy a wholesale of them and then resell them again also. So, you know, so I would buy those items. Like, I would buy two bags of chips and then just sell the other one. I would eat one and sell the other one. Or, you know, <laughs> just to keep the residuals coming in. I had to keep the residuals coming in. <laughs> Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. I love how you realized that what you learned at a very young age applies to everything you do today in the business world. I think that's so incredible. And we had spoken earlier about the importance of relationships and how that's kind of the cornerstone of everything that you do. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, growing up in the neighborhood where my grandfather's side, the fellas didn't like the guys on my grandmother's side. I built relationships with both because I grew up with both. So in every business and everything in life, I think relationships are the key component to success. Absolutely. I love how you were able to see that and get around that at such a very young age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it wasn't it wouldn't have worked out because if I had to go to my grandfather's house, I have to see these guys and I have to go to my grandmother's house. I had to see the, the other guy. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you, so when have you ever let judgment or fear hold you back? And if so, how did you overcome it? It sounds like there was a lot to be afraid of when you were a kid. The thing about it is growing up how we grew up, and I always say we because I relate to my friends. And when I say we, like I can relate to a person that grew up in Compton or I can relate to a person that grew up on the south side of Chicago. So it's we. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're black, white, Chinese, whatever. If you're from those type of settings, you can go to the country of Cambodia and there's probably a neighborhood that's as bad as the south side of Chicago or Detroit. So when I say we, I mean universal, right? Sure. So growing up how we grew up, you had to be tough. So you had to have no fear because if you show fear, then that shows weakness. Then within business, that's translated to where I'm not fearful of anyone or no one will intimidate me business-wise. So when I sit down with someone, and it doesn't matter if they make 100000 a year or $100 million a year, the person doesn't intimidate me because of his money stature. Because let's break away the money. Let's really see what you're about. Let's really see who you are. Because if you're just putting money in the forefront, that doesn't determine who you are or what you are just because you have that. So probably growing up like that, it was just a way or a component to where I had to remove fear from my conscience. And then having a lot of death of friends... Yeah, kind of gets you to be a little you just don't really have the feelings because if you're crying every five minutes, that shows weakness. Then that shows not hard or whatever like that or the quote unquote saying, oh, you're not hard. But I mean, it's psychologically. I mean, oh, my friend was murdered by another person. (laughs) That's big. It is big. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Like these guys didn't even reach 20 years old. Absolutely. I mean, and it sounds to me as though when you're surrounded with that and the stakes are so high and there's so much to lose, literally your life, that mm-hmm. everything else is kind of a cakewalk at that point. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah, it is. I mean that in a respectful way that the stakes, just anything that you would put importance on that you would direct your attention to. It's just all of it is, is details and you're not going to sweat the details. No, you don't. And you have to, you have to incorporate that in business. You can't get emotional. 
You can't, and that, and that's great point. You know, it's a double edged sword. It was a good and a bad thing. So I don't have emotions within business. If it's a business decision, it's just done. I've had deals that I've done with people, and they shouldn't have got the biggest portion they got because they really didn't do the work. But at the end of the day, it was business, mm-hmm. and then I don't want to hold the deal up, right? right? So I just I let it go through. Absolutely. You, know, you don't want to have any resentment or or anything like that with individuals. And and like I told you before. That's why you see these guys that are from Philadelphia in the Hollywood lifestyle, like the Kevin Hart's, the Will Smith's, the Bradley Cooper's. They're the top of their games because they come from a city or a neighborhood where you have to be the best. So then they come to Hollywood and then become the best. The Kobe Bryant's, and even though Kobe's from Lower Marion, still one of the best basketball players ever. Absolutely. You know, so it's like if you can make it in these areas. Or the area where we're from, everything else, like you said, is really not a cakewalk, but it's just easier. Yeah, absolutely. Put it in the proper perspective. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about how you got into your line of work, uh, financial advising. Um, well, I was working for a well-known um, music manager around 10 or 11 years ago. And I was in the music business, also had a couple of clients that had some hit records and things of that nature. And the the common thing that I've seen in that business was a lot of people spending down the principle of their money, right? And to dwindle it, it down to absolutely nothing. Okay. Having millions of dollars and dwindling it down or having hundreds of thousands and never living off the... Pr- the, the 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 interest just always principal 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 and it's the it's the common common trait of the lottery winner eighty percent of people that win a lottery are bankrupt within five years is because you just think this money is going to always come come and come and it's not you know and it's the same situation with sixty percent of basketball players are bankrupt five years after leaving and seventy two percent football players two years so it's a problem it's a problem. Because if everybody had it together, so when you watch the NFL draft this week, the first seven people drafted out of the 10 will be bankrupt. Wow. Just the statistics. Numbers don't lie. Right, right, right. Look at the seven. Look at the first seven. Look at the first 10, I mean. Seven out of those 10 won't have money when they leave. Wow. When you put it in that type of perspective, yeah, it really does make you stop and think. Yeah. So... Um, I had a friend that was in the insurance business and he was like, you need to get in it. You have great relationships. And at the same token, I was just tired of seeing these guys, these ball players. It's not like a doctor, right? These guys have to be more prudent than a doctor. So if a doctor comes to me at 45 years old and say, Malik, you know what? I'm ready to get it together. I screwed off my first 15 years in practice. He has 20 more years to get it together. Absolutely. <laughs> right. A football player or a basketball player only has about a five to 10 year time frame. These guys retire at 30 years old. Right. They're right. done. They're, they made all the money in their life in their life in 10 years. That's so interesting too, because I think of my own mindset when I was 30 years old and it was this mindset of invincibility and I'm going to live forever. And those aren't things that I need to worry about at this point in my life. So mm-hmm. to, yeah, have that type of responsibility and really need to make those decisions that are going to impact you financially going forward and into retirement a lot of pressure yeah it's definitely a lot of pressure and but the thing about it is you have a lot of guys that's in that business that's not teaching them the correct manner of absolutely making money is the same as saving money and it's not how much money you make it's how much money you keep yeah uh, well said yeah 
Yeah. So we always say here at, at the firm, if you aim at nothing, you hit it with amazing accuracy. <laughs> So, that is true in life as well, isn't it? Yeah. So you have no aim and no goal and no target in life. You will hit it on site every time. Absolutely. Well, I know <laughs> that you do have goals and aims and targets in life. Yeah. So tell us a little bit yeah. about your more recent venture. So you are involved in the restaurant industry now. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in that and what you're doing. Yeah. That came from a relationship. So I had a, um, a general manager at a restaurant. I was doing an annual review with them. He just started at a new restaurant. He said, you need to meet my, my new boss. Mark Kreiner, my business partner in the restaurant, is the former president of um, Tap Out. Um, that was the clothing company through, through the UFC. Yeah. And he either discovered, marketed, or promoted, for all you music listeners, 70% of disco bands in the 70s. So he was a, <laughs> you know, he, they call him the, um, the, the disco guru. Wow. (laughs) Studio 54 is flashing through my mind right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he told me a lot of stories about that. So he discovered La Chic and all the great, great guys. And he did a lot of Diana Ross records. He did Natalie Cole records. Um, So he's a individual that has he builds businesses and sells them. And he came to me. We we hit it off. He said, Malik, I'm working on a project. And of course, being in finance and I heard restaurant, it was a red flag. Sure. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm not really in this industry and I even know that that it's very hard to make a profit as a restaurateur. Exactly. And the reason why is because of the operating costs. Because you're spending too much on your staff or you may have put $10 million into a restaurant that's not seeing a return. Mark did everything strategic, like how I like to do business. The, the, The building of the restaurant which took us a year, was minimum. The investment wasn't too heavy. And he's building a hospitality group that's basically pre-sold. So he has a lot of great relationships in the private equity world that we're going to build this group to then later sell it. So he had an exit. And anything I do in life, I have to have an exit. Most people die coming down Mount Kilimanjaro than going up is because they don't plan for the exit. I never thought about that. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take that so, in for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So you plan to get up to this mountain, you get to the top of the mountain, but you don't plan to get down. Mm. And that's life. If you think about life, that's how it is. Think about the athlete. He works hard. He works to this way. He gets to this level. He makes it to the NFL and he doesn't plan for life after the NFL. Right. He Absolutely. doesn't plan for the exit. So in any business that I do, the intriguing thing about being in the restaurant business is I said, Malik, we have an exit strategy. I was sold from there. And and I always tell people, in a horse race, you never bet on a horse, you bet on the jockey. Why is that? Because the jockey is the one that's going to win. The jockey knows how to train the horse. The jockey is the one The jockey is the one that's going to win you the race. I like that. Yeah, so I was betting on, we're betting on Mark and Mark's track record for the restaurant. And that's the reason why we got involved. And it's called Ball and Chain. So on 1643 Cahuenga Boulevard, um, Hollywood and Kawanga, great shop. Looks beautiful when you walk inside. I ba- love it. Well, I've been there. I can attest yeah. to this. And I was, you know, honestly, I was a little put off by the theme of it, the meatball theme. It sounded like Archie Bunker's Corner Bar, but mm-hmm. it was wonderful, delicious. Everything was fresh. I really enjoyed. I yeah, really enjoyed so, it. Yeah. So it's a, you know, now we just added um, gourmet burgers, and we have over a hundred beers, and I mean, it's fun. It's a, it's lot a of fun, fun project. Super so at cute. the end of the day, in some investments, you have to have fun, and this is one of my fun portions of the portfolio. Absolutely. And I know yeah. also you're in the process of starting a nonprofit. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I would love to. Um, talking to some of my associates, and we want a lot of high influential African Americans. We want to get together and do a nonprofit, kicking around a name, Boys to Men, just showing boys how to become men. I really want to bring individuals from the Philadelphia area, C students. I don't want to do A students. I don't want to do B students. C students are the ones that's going to go left to right. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. A students are always given everything. Scholarships. They're given this trip here. They, B students are almost up there with A, but C students are never given anything. They're like the the middle child. Right. The mm. C student is the middle yeah. child, which they are. They yeah. are on the academic list. They're the middle child. So we want to bring them to Los Angeles, intern for us their 11th and 12th grade year and give them the opportunity to become part of the business that we do or help pay a partial scholarship to the college of their choice. But we want to give them and let them see that there are successful African-Americans outside of your community that don't sell drugs, that aren't bad people, that are good fathers. Mm. Within, Especially within the African-American community, we have to really take back our home because we don't have a lot of great fathers that are great examples yeah. for these kids. You yeah. know, we have the mothers that are portraying the, the mom and the dad, and then the mother becomes very demanding and then sometimes that hurts her in a relationship because she's talking to a man down and, you know, Absolutely. a lot of men aren't going to put up with that. No, that's so, but so that's, true. That's, that's part of, of what we fault. teach. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of men's fault for leaving that household to where the mother had to become the mom and the dad. Absolutely. And she sees she's get she gets things done when she's exactly. in that masculine energy. And so she just stays there all the time rather than being a feminine woman. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's really worthwhile. I'm so glad you're doing that. We're not doing this just to get the biggest boat or the biggest house. It's like with the legacy that we can leave and how many people can you help? Mm, I love that's that. it. That's yeah. it. That's that's it. Other than that, there's no other reason. Absolutely. A high tide uh, raises all ships. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Exactly. So exactly. W- one uh, final question. So how can our listeners connect with you if they want to learn more about your journey and your business, your industry? How would they do so? OK, well, the, the company I work for is Mass Mutual. The brokerage that I'm working out of is Teller Insurance. So if they want to email me, they can email me at mplatts, P-L-A-T-T-S. Uh-huh. That's all one word at Teller, T-A-Y-L-O-R. I-N-S-F-I-N dot com. So that's Teller. And we'll have this on the Vuavant website for our listeners too. Yeah. So. They can mail me there. They can email me there and they can call my office at 626-356-7637. They can ask for my assistant, Maya. At the end of the day, we want to give people information and make educated decisions. Absolutely. Right? I've never met one person that didn't want information to make the educated decision. I've sat down with people worth. $100 million, I've sat down with people worth 50000 I've never met one person that had everything together. Mm, yeah. Not one. It doesn't exist. Because there's, there's always strategies or there's money that's not working the way that you want it to work. Or it's sitting in a, you know, I call CD certificate of depreciations. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's sitting in a certificate of depreciation to where you're not even beating out inflation and you have three, 400000 or 50000 or 10000 there you're getting a half a percent and it's in the taxable environment. And if we can shift some of these funds or we grow these legacy policies without no new cost to the client or I save the client, refer them. We have great professionals within our, our network. If I refer you to a great tax planner and he saves you 20000 30000 100000 a year in taxes 
and we shift those funds to an, one of our insurance contracts, you didn't spend any money. I get their goals and objectives, and I contour the plan specifically for that individual. Well, I think that's the most important thing is kind of what you just hit on there is what are your intentions? How do you want this to look? When do you want to be done with work? Who do you have to leave things to? So you're really looking out for their greatest need. Exactly. I want to be the one that's going to be the risk-free aspect. And I tell people, if you go to Vegas, how much money do you want to come home with? And that's the money that I want to take care of. I like that. Very good. Yeah. On that note, thank you, Malik. Very, very informative interview. I'm really grateful you were here today. Oh, no, definitely. um, Thank you for having me, Kristen. And anybody that wants to um, reach out to my office and we can have a free consultation. I'm in the Pasadena area, um, but I travel all over the world for my clients. So wherever you're at and if you want the information to make the educated decision, just give my office the call at 626 Three five six seven six three seven, and ask for my assistant, Maya. Absolutely. Thank you, Malik. And thank you to our listeners as well. Did you like this podcast? If so, please rate us on iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe. Until next week, this is Kristen Nepper. Keep moving forward and Sat Nam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.